BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight, and we'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by our friends at Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest competes full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, driving the number seven Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports, part-time in the NASCAR Cup Series, driving the number 77 Chevrolet for Spire Motorsports. In the Cup Series, 80 races over seven years, Xfinity Series, 383 races over 13 years, 17 wins, 226 top tens, and six poles. 2008 ARCA Remax Series champion, 2018 Xfinity Series regular season champion, 2019, 2020, and 2021 Xfinity Series most popular driver. That means he's a likable guy. Raised in Riverton, Illinois, and he started racing at the age of five. He's one of those guys, Mike. Justin Allgaier, welcome to the podcast and say hi to Mike Wallace. 
Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Um, that's quite the introduction. I've, uh, you know, when you hear it all uh, kind of spelled out like that, you realize how old you're getting. But other than that, it's, uh, it's great to hear all those stats. Yes, I, I understand how old you are, Justin. I was, I myself was born at the young age in 1959, and you were born 1986. So, yeah. what do you think I'm feeling like? <laughs> His well, daddy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mike. One of the things that I love is, is obviously I've known you and, and your entire family, really, for that matter, for a number of years. And, and you know, growing up obviously having a lot of respect for you guys and, and what you guys accomplished on the racetrack and, and off the racetrack alike. And, and it's always funny, you know, uh, I feel like when you, when you look at, at people, you know, I've known people so long that you don't realize the differences in age or the gaps. I mean, I just feel like we're all kind of in that same time period. And, and I know I'm a little bit younger than you are, but man, I, I still feel like I'm, I, I relive those older days a lot. I'm not going to lie. I, I love where we're at now, but I do give it the older days a lot. And I, I kind of miss where we came from, to be honest. Well, that's unique. Before the show, we were talking about it. There's four of us here in the studio, and we are talking about what we'll call the good old days of NASCAR and before how things just – it's just different now. And I, I enjoyed the past. So in uh, all the background we brought up and, uh, you know, dirt racing early in this, the Midwest area. You mean back when they wouldn't throw a caution when the leader's 100 feet from the start-finish line? <laughs> <laughs> okay so how about so, that lead in that, so justin <laughs> you know we, we we sometimes have to get on current day news because this will be discussed in a little while but you're uh, i'm going to ask you for your input because your boss dale jr put out a, a few cool candid tweeting marks yesterday what do you think about that all-star race on saturday or sunday night what a what a weird finish what do you think what a weird and and be sure. honest. Don't don't hide nothing because I we <laughs> no 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 I, I I don't and 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 here's something that that's very interesting is I feel like you know one of the things that we're going through right now is a huge transition right obviously the car is different than what we've ever seen the car is completely different but but you know you and I have grown up in an era where David Hoots was the guy right and and that has changed not just once, but multiple times since he has not been a part of, of race control and calling these races. And there's a lot of new, right? And, and I, think, I think we're in, a, in an era or time when, you know, not, not everybody has seen this scenario play out. You know, Hoots probably didn't start and, and wasn't the best guy at it whenever, uh, whenever he started. But obviously, by the end of his career, he was great at it and, and somebody that we all respected a lot. And I think that we're in a situation where you know, somebody got super overzealous on a, on, a, on a call. They made that call, and uh, it, it was almost a, a huge detriment to the race, right? I mean, the only thing that saved the all-star race was Ryan Blaney won the race and that you know everything ended the way that it did. But... You know, we, we definitely missed the mark on that one. Um, and, and I think that there's going to have to be some reviews of that. And if we don't do that, then we're only kidding ourselves, right? I mean, as a, as a, as a driver, but more importantly, somebody that is a huge fan of this sport and, and feel like I've given a, a huge chunk of my life to being a part of this sport, um, you, you, you have to learn from your mistakes because – the reason why things fail is because they they weren't willing to make it uh, you know changes or or adapt whenever they've made mistakes and I think that's where we're at today and you know here I, I looked at 
social media after after the the all-star race it's 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 disappointing because that race draws a lot of eyes it draws a lot of um excitement and and there wasn't a lot of positivity whenever we left right and that's that's on everybody, right? That's on us. That's on the series. That's on the track. That's on, you know, the fans, you know, we, we, we've got to be vocal about what we want to see. And, and unfortunately Sunday night probably wasn't it. So, so help me understand. And, and I didn't think we'd get into this, but I'm going to get into it. So <laughs> I, I, and I compliment the way you're, you're referencing the word. We, we need to do this. We need to do that. But you know what? Let, let's, Let's lay the cards where that. This was NASCAR's problem on Sunday night. That was the management race controls mistake, don't you think? I mean, as drivers, nobody did anything wrong. Everybody raced the race. And sometimes, you know, we, I know I have been, you can't really give your opinion because they want to call you out or do something to you. But, I mean, somebody's got to say, you know, that, and you did say it was wrong, but. We, meaning you as a race car driver, did a great job on Saturday. The drivers did a great job on Sunday. We just had an officiating error that came from race control that almost ruined the entire night. Well, I, I agree with you in, in, in one aspect, yes. Sunday night in particular, that, that specific point in, in space, yes. Yeah. That was an officiating problem. But but there's a lot that goes into this, right? And and you've been around the sport a long time, and, and – you know, in the Dale Earnhardt Senior era, um, you know, he had the ability to influence not not his his own beliefs, right? I'm not going to say that he he would help or have them make rules changes or things that would benefit him, but he had the ability to to influence the way things went for the sport, right? And it wasn't just him; it was. It was a group of drivers that um, they they took it upon themselves to take pride in how things happened, the the logistics of what was going on. They would call out the sport for having um, bad moments, right? And I feel like I feel like there's there's a slight disconnect right now because it went from helping the sport move together as a whole and, and all, you know, 43 drivers back then and what was best for the teams and the drivers and the sport and moving it forward to now when people complain, a lot of times it's based on what's good for them today. And, and here as racers, we want what benefits us as teams. We want what benefits us. We all know that more money in our pockets and more fans at the, at the racetrack and, and winning more races is what we want. But sometimes the rules changes that we think would be better don't always affect the greater good of the sport. And, and I think we've we've not done a good job leading up to this point. And Sunday night, even though the officiating was the difference maker for the final restart, there were things that should have been different long before the final restart even happened that we shouldn't be in this position. And I put that on all of us, right? There's nobody that's there's nobody that's ever going to fix all of the problems but if we don't collectively move the sport forward as a whole it, it's it's a detriment to each and every one of us singularly and i think that um i put a lot of pressure on myself even even the racing aspect of it right i i 
I feel very passionate that if I don't do a good job on Saturday or, or if I'm racing on Sunday on Sunday to not only do the best job I can, but, but help put on the best race and the best show possible for our fans that I'm, I'm doing a detriment to our sport. And, and uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the minority in that and I, and I shouldn't look at it that way, but I, but I really truly believe that, that this is on all of us. So we've got to, we've got to speak up. We have to make sure that we're giving NASCAR good feedback, not just yelling at them or calling them out for their, for their problems. We got to give them good feedback and we have to move this forward as a whole, or we're going to fail as a whole. And having said that, let me ask you this, Mike and Justin, is there any communication between NASCAR after something like this happens, or even if something like this doesn't, is there a weekly communication um, between NASCAR and the teams, the crew chiefs, the team president, whoever, as to how things are going, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on that issue? Is, is there an open dialogue there? Uh, Justin would probably be better to answer what's going on in the current day. When I was a race car driver, up until the last race I run, NASCAR never, never asked me my opinion on anything. Gotcha. Never called, never sent a note, never did anything. So um, how about it, Justin? Do you get any requests for consultation to NASCAR? Do they reach out to you or your team on opinions? So that has changed significantly, I would say, in the last four or five years. Um, however, <laughs> I would say that a lot of the stuff that we get our ask our opinion on is is more so surface stuff that that may not necessarily affect the greater outcome of everything. Right now, you know, Denny was actually um, really pushing for a, a a drivers group to have that dialogue with nascar that has changed significantly in the last four or five years of what it's kind of become yeah i think actually now jeff burton is the leader of that group and kind of helps manage that but but again you know i think that's a on the surface type situation that that isn't necessarily digging into what i would say are some of the the bigger challenges or or things that we need to go and, and kind of look at. So, you know, here, would I like to see that be more? Yes, absolutely. But on the other side, I don't know that we'll ever get there. So, you know, we, we just have to go and, and uh, as Mike said, we've got to go do what the racers did Sunday night. They went out there and they left it all on the table and, and, you know, they, 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 they did the best job with the, the circumstances that were dealt with them. Um, but, I'd love to see, I'd love to see that race get back to what it was. And I'm not even saying that that's at Charlotte Motor Speedway, but I'd love to see the All Star race get back to what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, because um, that race has been truly special, a truly special part of our sport, and it's something that I wish we could, we could get back to. Well, I think we can all agree on that. I think we Absolutely. agree on that. And I think I, if I read through the lines, Justin doesn't get asked his opinion very much either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, let, let's, uh, let's, let's take it from here and let's get off of All-Star Week. We wanted to talk about Justin Algar, and we're just a couple minutes left in this segment. So, Justin, I'm, I'm going to start a little bit. Then when we break, we're going to come back and really find out who you are and where you come from. So, Jeff, let me tell you this story. Justin Algar, before he was ever born, not even a thought of, his father, which everybody refers to 
as Gator, Mike Algar, yeah. to me is one of the nicest, most famous guys in the Midwest. You know, he's famous now because he's Justin's dad, but he was <laughs> the, the Hoosier man. He, he, him and his lovely wife, they would, he would work his living guts out every race, my hand mountain dirt tires and uh, just crazy. And Justin, I got to tell you the story and we'll go to break. So when I, I, when I quit dirt racing, and I moved to the Carolinas, I knew I owned your, owed your father 300 bucks. It was in the back of my mind. You know how people say, oh, I don't remember owing you money. Right. Well, no, I, re I don't owe anybody you money. So I didn't. So Chrissy raced the ARCA race down in, in Talladega. And we're all standing in a circle and Gator's standing there. And I said, man, this has bothered me for 25 years. I says, I owed you 300 bucks. I'm going to pay you back 400 for interest. And I know. And he looks at me and goes, yeah, I knew you owed me, but I wanted you to always tell people you owed me. And of a funny that it was. Did he take your money? He did take my money. I far, he, I kind of forced him, but uh, that was just kind of a, a two minute fill there till we take this break and come back and talk to Justin. Right now, well, we'll do that. Well, and we'll go back through the years with Justin Allgaier. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest on the line with us right now, Justin Allgaier. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Justin, as as everybody knows you today, they know who you are because you you know you're a race winning race car driver. You drive for Junior Motorsports. You're all out there, but the average race fan has no idea how how Justin Algar came up. So, what we like to bring out is tell us from the day you first remember get interested in motorsports, or and we want to go through your 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 life in forty five minutes here. <laughs> Yeah, so my, you know, my racing career is a little bit different and unique. You know, when I was younger, um, I didn't know anything other than racing, right? When we talked about my dad before we went to break, and mm -hmm. you know, my dad was huge on my parents in general. My parents were hugely instrumental in in me having the love that I do for the sport. Uh, you know, when I was born, I was I was at a racetrack, you know, day one. And, and that's all I knew. And I grew up around racers, right? Whether that be, you know, local short track racers or, or you know, folks like yourself or your, your, your brother, Kenny, or Kenny Schrader. You know, I was fortunate to be around folks like you guys that I had a lot of respect for. And, and I, I got to see an insight into not only the local short track scene, right, but, but guys that came back and supported it. The guys that raced on, on Saturdays and Sundays in, in NASCAR and seeing all of the, the, the different personalities and the styles and things that I was able to see at a young age. Like all I knew is, is that at some point in my life, I wanted to be a race car driver. Right. And, you know, so uh, what's odd about racing is you can actually start racing about the same time you can start playing T-ball or playing, soccer or <laughs> basketball right i mean I, well some of uh, us can yeah <laughs> right right uh but but you know for me um, i had a great friend uh at the time joey mohan so their family is is 
been around my family for a number of years there. His grandfather actually owned race cars um, in the 60s and 70s, you know, and, and, and was a customer of, of my mom and dad's, but also they were great friends, right? And uh, Joey was racing quarter at the time. He was seven, and my mom always was trying to find ways to keep me uh, not wanting to go to the racetrack with my dad, right? Because my dad was going to the, the ARCA Series races at the time and, and selling the tires, and she was always trying to find fun things to do whenever I couldn't go with my dad. And so she took me to the quarter midget races one Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget it. My dad was in Michigan um, for the, for the ARCA series race. He hadn't come home yet. And so she took me in and here I'm seeing these kids that are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old racing cars and immediately fell in love with it. Right. And so uh, the Mohan family told me, they're like, Hey, won't you, uh, or told my mom, he said, hey, won't you bring your son out, um, you know, bring him out on a Wednesday night. We do practices out here. Let him come out here and see if he wants to drive a car one night. Now, so what, age, what point, age were you there? What? How old I, were you? I was five then. Okay, five. I had just turned five. <laughs> and uh, when my dad called in that night, I, I can remember just being on the phone. And, and you know, the, the kids nowadays will never remember this, but I was on a corded phone, right? with uh, uh it was on the counter in our kitchen and i remember being on the phone and i was so excited i was pacing and i was turning and i wrapped that phone cord around me like seven times just <laughs> trying to explain to my dad how cool quarter midgets were and how much i wanted to go drive a quarter midget and he just kept saying no justin i'm telling you no i love you but no and uh i finally got on the phone and i, I you know i finally said but mom said i could <laughs> and he said he said, put, put your mother on the phone. <laughs> so then, it, you know, it, it takes me five minutes to get untangled from the, the phone cord there. And I hand my mom the phone. and She's like, well, you know, yeah, I told him that we could just maybe, you know, go out there and practice a little bit. and Maybe we could get a car and just go have a little bit of fun. You know, just, just something to have a little bit of fun with. And he's like, Dorothy, no, if we're going to go racing, we're going to go racing. But, but I don't think this is a good idea. And she said, well, I already got his hopes up. You know, it, we, if nothing else, let's just go try it. And uh, we went to the racetrack that next week, and I got to drive a car for the first time. And uh, I finished out the rest of the year, actually, driving Joey's car. So, so he would race the senior class, and I would race the junior class. And uh, they would have to come in after every race and put a different restrictor plate in the car and put some padding in the seat because – I'm not the tallest person now, but I was really little back then. They'd put some padding in the seat, and I'd go drive his car. And, and um, that Christmas, I got a car for my for my my Christmas present, and and the rest is history. And and there's a lot that's going on, and we can we can dive into the rest of it. But but that's really the start of kind of how my racing career started, and something that um, you know, my mom. It, you know, everybody thinks, oh, my dad was the one that pushed me to racing, and for sure, you know, he was the guy that got me into it and he wanted no part of it and he never wanted me to be a race car driver. So it's, it's always funny when I tell people that because they, they're confident that it was always my dad that got me involved in it. Oh, that's great to hear because your mom, Dorothy, is just the nicest person, real sweet. It's usually white. mom that's like, I don't think so. Honey. Yeah, but it's cool. <laughs> it's really neat to hear this. I'm excited about this story. I can't really can't wait till I see dad gator again a couple because... of points too the other kid was in the senior <laughs> class at age seven yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so justin you'll have to uh understand where some of this comes from you know we're you're you're like guest 39 i think right guys pretty close so we've had a nice little run of shows here and 
we early on we started talking about you know how back in the day you used to drive when you become 15 or 16 you know back in my area you had to literally go to the courts and get a permit to race at 16. Right. now if you're don't have a career established by 12 you know, and on yeah. your path, you, your history, just give it up. <laughs> right. you know? I'm yeah. surprised at five you weren't in the Hendrick Development Program or yeah. something like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so it, it, it's funny you guys say that, and this is this is funny because so when I was when I was 12, I actually got emancipated for racing purposes by the state of Indiana. So they had this loophole, really. If that's what I, I it's probably the best way to put it because it. it it would probably never hold up today in court, right? But but they had this this loophole where I could become emancipated for racing purposes only, and and I was able to to circumvent some of the same rules you're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of these series or tracks had rules of you know 16 years old or 18 years old, and I was able to circumvent that. Now, when I when I looked at you know NASCAR and and, and specifically the ARCA series back then. My little emancipation wasn't good enough for that. I they, they weren't going to budge on their rules. They did. They really didn't want that. But um, so I got to hold you. I hold was, you there just for a second. Explain the mass. I, I know what that word means. Like if you want to get away from your family, you know, right? And that you separate from your family. Yeah. What to do yeah. in the race world? I never. You, you just brought up something I've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, so so the definition of emancipation is actually truly basically uh becoming 18 at whatever age you're emancipated so you make all of your own decisions whether that be financial um medical um you know you you basically in the eyes of the state become an adult you you sign your rights away and um it's kind of a weird Jeff and I are looking like at each other like I don't know man because when I was 16 17 I did some pretty stupid things so I don't think I needed to be emancipated you know what I mean well (laughs) and and a lot of times a lot of times the true emancipation is for people that are in a bad situation right controlling or um, detrimental to their life right but the racing side of things is a little bit different because you know I think a lot of a lot of times when you look at a child, um, we 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 say okay until you're 18 you can't you can't make decisions for yourself and you know and and, and as a as racing I think they they I don't know why they let us do that right I I don't know but but they allowed you to say hey yes I, this is I know what I'm I know what I'm putting myself into and I know what risks I'm I'm taking and I'm willing to take those risks and and uh, it, it was kind of wild to be honest with you, but it there was a lot of us that did it. I mean, I, how I did you even can, how did you even know how to to do that? Did your mom and dad research that out, or somebody all of a sudden say, "Hey, because we are doing it, you should do this"? Or like, yeah, that's uh, there was a whole group of us at the time that were racing quarter midgets uh, that were all kind of looking at what the next move was, and you know, we raced quarter midgets in the time we were five, and there wasn't you know there wasn't another step in the middle. Right. So like you look at now, there's race cars for every age and you can you can race about anything, anywhere, anytime at any age. Right. Back then from quarter midgets, like the next step would be um, a modified or a late model or a sprint car. Right. There was no middle ground. Um, and, and so, you know, you had all these classes and leagues that that. Wanted um, <laughs> they 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 didn't want you to race at a young age, but there was nowhere for us to go. 
So somebody got it done, said, hey, you need to look into this. I, I can picture, you know, there was a there was a, a group of us that ended up being, um, you know, a bunch of them were development drivers for, you know, NASCAR uh, had gone on to, to do things, whether it be sprint cars or late models. I mean, there was a bunch of us that, that did it that actually, you know, moved up and, and raced probably before we should have, to be honest with you. But but it was a it was a clause that they put in, and we all kind of took advantage of it. And there was a group of about thirty of us or so that I would say that they did it right away. And it wasn't long after that that they actually cut that program out. Uh, look at this! All these years, I have blamed blamed Jeff Gordon for being <laughs> the young guy that ruined it for everybody. You know, all of his old guys. <laughs> and here it was little Gator. Yeah, it was he, just an all guy. He changed changed the state <laughs> rules. <laughs> right, right. Oh, but I mean, you know, so. So I, honestly, I, I ran a super delay model at 13. Um, um, and, and, but I, I look back on my career and I wouldn't change it. The problem today is, is that now it's an arms race when people aren't ready, right? There's a lot of young racers that aren't ready, but their fear of being left out has parents so desperate to move them up that they, 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 they make them move up whether they're ready or not. Back then, I mean, I raced. When I, so from the time I was probably 11 until I was about 13, I was racing six nights a week, right? I was racing in Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, and North Carolina six nights a week. And, and, what, and we what were, were you driving at that time? Uh, at the time, I was racing a Bandolero in Charlotte. Okay. Uh, I actually raced with you guys, right? Uh, yeah. Mondays and Tuesdays, we practiced Monday, race Tuesday for the Bandoleros. Uh, Wednesday night, we would race in Speedrome, Indiana. Uh, I ran a Kenyan midget, which was, a, it was, it was geared towards kids. It was, a, a kind of a full-size midget chassis, but a motorcycle engine and, and made to go a little bit slower than what a midget would have gone. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we were racing, uh, uh, winged, uh, 600 CC outlaw mini sprints or quarter midgets. And then Sunday we would travel back to, to Charlotte. We would you know, practice Monday, race Tuesday, and then drive Tuesday night after the race is over to Indy and then drive back to Illinois. And that was my every week Good in the summer. God, that's crazy. And how old were you at the time? <laughs> I would have been probably between 11 and 13. That's amazing. Now, now the summer shootout series, the Legends of Bandoleros, that, that always took place in the summer, so school wasn't an issue. Were you doing yeah, so Go ahead. So I would I, once school got out, we would like from the time the day I got out of school until the day we went back to school, I was never at home. I, I was constantly gone. Um, once school started, I had to be back at school, and so we had to we had to be a little bit more creative. I was lucky enough that I had a school that was really cool about you know they understood what we were trying to accomplish and you know how much I, I did all my work. I made sure everything was turned in on time. I never got a break from the schoolwork, but. You know, I was constantly, um, you know, gone from school. And uh, then during the winter, we would actually, we would travel. Uh, I would leave school early on Wednesday. My dad would drive me to Indianapolis, Indiana. And I would take speaking classes on Wednesday night at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We would drive back home after the classes were over. I'd get home at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever. I'd go to school the next day. On the weekends, we'd travel around. We'd go to trade shows or whatever. We'd try to go self-sponsorship i we never sat at home ever i mean we were constantly on the go and uh, 
honestly, looking back on it, it's the only thing that's put me in the position to be where I'm at today. See, that's where I went wrong in my Legends career, Mike. <laughs> See, I had a pesky job I had to go to every day. Yeah. So as you're describing it, Justin, you got to see the, the the framework inside this room. We got Jeff's looking at me like, holy crap. I know it. I mean, well, you listen. So, and my kid played uh, baseball, right? Same thing, though, right? I mean, we went to we went to baseball practice. We went to baseball camps. We went one night a week. We were or two nights a week. We were at uh, at one of the indoor facilities during the wintertime working on hitting and fielding and all. You know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. They just happen to do it in the racing business. Right? All right. Let's take a break and come back and follow up We'll do up that. We're talking Allgaier. to Justin Allgaier. Great stories. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Great stories from back in the day with Justin Allgaier. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Justin, just wondering, when you were that age and you guys were doing all that traveling, I mean, thousands of miles in a toter home airplane bus whatever it would have been did 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 you realize what you were doing do you remember no. that Does like man oh, i remember I, I remember it completely but i in the moment i didn't know that it was different right because there was a whole group of us that were kind of doing the same things like we traveled with other families and you know everybody pitched in if, if my dad couldn't go we had other other families that were going to the races and i would ride with them and, you know completely not at all oblivious to to that that was odd right and you know jesse smith and, and oh, i was smith just going to mention them yeah, yeah because it's like they would yeah. do that and i thought it was crazier but uh wow yeah so so for a while there they actually went with us i mean when we were traveling to to, to charlotte to run the bandolero they had a car as well and they would they would ride with us or i would ride with them and you know we were we were constantly on the go and you know i think Looking back on it now, I wouldn't have changed any of it. I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I didn't realize how cool it was, and I, and I honestly wish I had, I wish I had um, enjoyed it more in the moment, right? But uh, it it truly was was special, and and you know, like I said a couple of times, if I hadn't done all of that stuff, never ever would I be in the position where I'm at today, to 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 have these opportunities. So truly. Um, was was hugely influential in my career and getting to where I'm at today. You know, it, Jeff, I just want to kind of explain this to the everybody that's listening. And I know Justin just explained it, but think about this. And uh, you were probably leaving from Springfield, Illinois. The other, the Smith family was out of St. Louis, but they'd get in a transport or a you know a toter home, mm -hmm. and they'd drive all the way to Charlotte, ten to twelve hours yeah. direct race get in the truck after the race and drive somewhere else yeah. 10 or 12 hours. I mean, it was just, it's incredible. It's, it's a cool story to hear, you know, I mean, really am because uh, you've literally raced your whole life and uh, traveled. Uh, the, the traveling was immense. Um, again, it probably didn't seem like it then, but it does. So after you did the uh, legend stuff and, you know, the bandoleros and the micro sprints and all that, what was your uh, first break into, if you want to call it, big cars? We'll just classify big cars. I mean, dirt cars, late models, whatever it might be. Yeah, so so at 13, we got a super, super late model, dirt late model. And 
at the time it was a very, very limited schedule, right? Like we, we bought an older car, um, just, just wanted to go and even see if that was the direction I wanted to go because truth be told, I, I would have rather have gone down the open wheel path. I wanted to run wing sprint cars and travel and, and race midgets and sprint cars and silver crown cars. That was more the path that I would have kind of gone down. And my mom and dad both were like, Hey, you know, we, we love you. And, and, we uh we we were the ones that got you into this but we have no intention of that being the path you take so uh if you want to do that you're on your own if you want to race stock cars we'll be glad to help facilitate that so i started racing super delay models traveled um traveled locally just you know once a week or once a month really at that point and after uh probably a year and a half of doing that we started racing there more time and, um, you know, then, so then I'm, I'm, I'm close to the 16 range. Um, you know, I can remember, you know, at that point driving the, at the, at the time we had built a toter home. We actually, when I was driving through town and a guy had built a, a camper box and didn't have a truck to put it on. And his family thought it was ugly because he, he bolted it to a flatbed trailer and, he put it up for sale and it was in the middle of town and uh, my dad drove by it one day and said, I, I got a truck that fit on. I'm just going to buy that. And then we'll, we'll make a toter home out of it. And that's what we did. So right. we built it. We built a toter home. We built our own toter home and we traveled up on the road. And I, I remember driving the toter home, you know, we raced like the summer nationals. It was 28 races in 32 days. And you know, hey, we were, do you hear that, Jeff? How many races they what they used to call that the Hell Tour, right? Or did they still <laughs> the call Hell Tour? Yeah, yeah, UMP yeah. Hell Tour. Twenty-eight races, twenty-eight races, in thirty-two days. Yeah. Twenty-eight races in thirty-two days. See the day yeah, off. So it's highly They still do that. That's yeah. crazy. They they do, right? still, yeah, they do. Yeah. And so, so I remember driving the truck. You know, driving the truck and trailer, and each sleep for two or three hours, and take shifts, and and uh, get up the next day and service the race car and you know, that was, that was normal to me. I didn't know any different. And I was working at the tire store too. So I was, I was sweeping floors and unloading trucks at the tire store when I wasn't at the racetrack, you know? So, so in your early days of your career, like, let's just get the dirt racing part of it. Did you physically work on the race cars? Were you actually out there turning wrenches and that, or were you just driving it? Because there's a big, big, well, in today's world, I've watched a lot of kids and, they get out of the car and they walk away and grab their phone and somebody else works on everything. Then they come back and get in them. But I grew up, you had to work on them the whole time and yourself. It sounds like you may have done the same. Absolutely. Um, you know, if I wasn't there in the shop working on race cars, if it wasn't done by the race weekend, we just didn't go to the track. Like that, that wasn't, you know, that was nobody else's fault, but my own. And, and granted I had people to help me, yes. you know, there were people that would come and be a part of it and help you. But, but, if I wasn't actively at the shop and learning how to fabricate panels, learning how to fabricate parts, I mean, you know, you crash parts, you better learn how to fix them. You know, um, the other part of it is, you know, I did all my own, I did all my own decals too. So when I was, when I was 12, my dad bought a vinyl machine and he said, I, I'm tired of paying people to, to decal race cars. So you're going to do it yourself. And, uh, so I actually started a business doing that as well at 13, uh, making, making vinyl decals and lettering, you know, company vehicles and signs and lettering my own race cars. 
And um, so that was that was part of my job title as well. So I didn't get off uh, the way that a lot of these kids get off nowadays. But but honestly, I wouldn't change that either because you learn so many life skills by by having to do that and your work ethic and things that just makes it that much more fun. Oh, yeah. I think it's absolutely wonderful when you're working on this stuff. So we'll speed forward a little bit. We got out of the dirt cars. You had an average career, a decent career there. And then you went ARCA racing, and you won an ARCA championship uh, or a couple ARCA championships. Tell us about the ARCA series. Yeah, so, you know, ARCA was interesting because, you know, my dad, like I said before, had been the guy that had, that had serviced the ARCA series uh, through Hoosier for a number of years. And, and when Hoosier corporate took that over internally um, – <clears throat> You know, he still had a passion and a love for that series. And so we put a car together. Kenny Schrader actually gave me my first car. It was a car that they had they had built out of an, uh, an old late model. Um, it was a house intersection with uh, a Laughlin front clip and rear clip on it. And uh, we put a body on it and, and went to the racetrack with it and went and raced. And, you know, from there, we were lucky enough to, to kind of put a few more cars together and I bought out, um, uh, we bought out a team at the time. I'm trying to think, um, Bill Barrett actually drove the cars, but I can't think of the num the name that, um, well, that would Bill Barrett would have been his team, wasn't it or not? Well, no, it'd be after he was done. He actually went and drove this car for oh, okay. a, a team a couple of times. Uh, but then, you know, just over time we accumulated parts and pieces. We actually bought out, um, uh, Mark Thompson, we bought, we bought Mark Thompson's truck and trailer and, and, uh, it came with a bunch of old Thunderbirds. We, we had some old Ford Thunderbirds that were way predated to whatever I was racing, but, uh, we still ended up with a bunch of, of stuff. And so we did it as, as best we could out of Springfield, Illinois and got lucky enough that we were able to, to kind of move forward and, and ultimately win a championship and, and do it, you know, out of a little, out of a little shop with, relatively no money being invested in we owned all of our own engines and we we uh we did it as cheap as we possibly could but we uh, we had a lot of good people around us and and made the most of it and, and ended up winning a championship and well, ha oddly enough my 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 story though is interesting because that's how i ended up getting the opportunity to go nascar racing and, and i'll kind of give you an insight into that so um in 2008 we were pocono and we had led the Pocono race multiple times and hadn't been fortunate enough to win it. And um, I, I, one of the other team owners in the sport saw the effort and dedication that we had put into it. And and I was headed to driver intros at Pocono. And you know how Pocono is, Mike. The 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 front straightaway from the garage area isn't isn't far, but it's also not close, right? All right. Everywhere at Pocono is a mile away, so. Um, this gentleman stopped me and he introduced me to another guy. And, and at the time I was already running late. I was trying, we had been working on some stuff at the trailer to get ready for the race. And I was late to get the driver intros. And, um, so I meet this gentleman and we have a quick conversation and I tell him that I need to go, but I really, you know, it's really nice to meet him. And what I didn't know at the time was he was the director of competition for, for team Penske. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so I, I went out that day and we ended up winning that race. The first race I had won at, at Pocono and I got a phone call uh, a few days later and he asked if I'd be willing to come by the shop and have lunch with him. And at the time I was completely broke. I had no money. My dad had just told me that 
we didn't have any money to uh, to go racing on and that we were probably going to have to quit racing. And um, I, I didn't know what to do. I was completely distraught, you know, as a racer, finding out that my racing career was kind of coming to an end. And uh, I got a phone call and he wanted to know if I would come have lunch with him at, at the, the offices at, at Team Penske. And I didn't, I just, I guess he assumed that I lived in Charlotte. I, you know, we're racing ARCA. I guess he just assumed that I lived there. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I spent every dime I had in my bank account. I bought a plane ticket. I flew to Charlotte and um, we had lunch. And it w- ended up being uh, Mike Nelson, which was the director of competition, and Tim Sindrick which is the president of, of team Penske. Mm-hmm. And when we got all said and done with lunch, they said, Hey, we just, we're glad you stopped by for lunch today. Uh, but we, you know, we don't have anything. Um, we don't have anything that we can offer to you, but we just wanted to meet you and get to know you. And Mike had a lot of nice things to say about you after he met you in Pocono. And we just wanted to, wanted to say, Hey, so, you know, <laughs> So, I left. So, I what left did you devastated. think about that right there? Right now, because I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, I just spent my entire savings account on a plane ticket to get down here, and you don't have anything for me. What? Yeah, it was. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure the plane ticket was like eight hundred sixty-three dollars. Oh my god! You don't and, remember exactly, it was, but it was eight hundred sixty-three dollars. Right? Yeah, and I just remember being devastated when I left there. And um, about two weeks later, I got a phone call that they said, "Hey, we're we're in Chicago." Uh, racing the the IndyCar series race when you guys are there racing the ARCA series race and Mr. Penske would like to meet you. Would you be willing to stick around for an extra day and, and meet Roger Penske? And I said, uh, absolutely. Right. That's a, that's an opportunity of a lifetime to meet a guy like Roger Penske. And um, I stuck around on Sunday. I met Roger Penske and uh, on Tuesday morning, I flew to, I flew to Detroit to, to his airport hangar. He sent a plane to pick me up, and I signed a contract that day. Oh and my God, Justin! That's I, you how know, my, my NASCAR career started. I never, I never heard that. Never knew that story. That that is like that's a great it, story. But you talk so about cool. talk about fate, though. You yeah. know what I mean? You, you meet somebody at at Pocono. It, it, it translates to a meeting at Penske, and then a meeting with Roger Penske. Yeah. And, Think know. about how great that is. Thinking back at it, that you were uh, you were nice enough. At that time, because you were going to be a race car driver that afternoon, but you took a, a couple minutes to talk to Mike Nelson. Look what it did for you. I mean, you could if you if you would have blew him off, you may maybe what home run the tire store. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be back selling race tires, right? I mean, it really. But but here's the here's the thing, and this is this is the way that I look at life, right? And and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but but to me, people are what makes this sport go around. But people are what makes the world go around. And and without people. And without different personalities and without people being different, um, our world doesn't operate right. There's a there's a there's a place for everybody and every personality type and every like some people some people aren't like me and don't take time and and are equally as successful and have equal amount of opportunities right. But I've always been about people and, and meeting people and and whether that be fans or people in the sport. And um, it's, it's definitely got me to a great place, but, but, but I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't know what life would have looked like, but I can tell you that, you know, my dad is 74 years old. He still runs the company day to day. And, and, and a major part of that is because he spent every dime he could possibly muster up to be able to take me to the racetrack week in and week out. 
and it's almost put him in a situation where he has to work every day still. And I, and I, I hate that for him, but I know he wouldn't have changed anything he's ever done in his career. Right. So I have this, like, I work every day as hard as I can in the hopes that I can repay him for the time and effort and energy that he's put into my racing career. Because without my dad, without my mom and dad, let me, let me preface that. Um, I'm not here and I don't do what I do. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had great teachers and, and they've been, a, a between them and my wife. Hey, hold that I thought. I, we got, okay. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back for the final segment. This is too good to, to interrupt. We're Chris. talking to Justin Allgaier and we'll get to uh, what's happening as we approach race weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. They're the best. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. A couple of more laps with Justin Allgaier. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Justin, I stopped you in the middle of that, and you were talking about your mom and dad and how influential they've been in your career and how your dad still works I don't know if he really has to work. He, he just wants to work. But uh, go ahead and pick back up there if you don't mind. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, obviously they they put their heart and soul into it, and he still he still does what he can to try and help. He still travels a lot, too. He comes to a lot of the races and, and is is there supporting me every week. And um, but, but I also said my wife, too. You know, my, my wife's been an integral part of kind of who I've become and, and who I am today, and, and without her either – you know, she's, she's been a piece that I, you know, you, you don't realize how influential somebody is in the decisions you make until you step back and kind of look at it. And, you know, she's been there for a number of years. I mean, we started dating at, at 15. Um, you know, we, we've been together ever since and, and she's been a, a huge part of, you know, who I've become and, and, and keeping me in the sport because truth be told, I've, I probably would have walked away from the sport a long time ago um, if it hadn't been for her. And, and she's been a, a, a huge reason why I'm still here and still capable of going to the racetrack every week and, and running up front and winning races. Explain that to me. Why would you have walked away without her support? What, what didn't you like about her? What wasn't going right for you? Well, I mean, I think this sport, this sport isn't always your friend, right? And, and people aren't always your friends. You know, you, you make, relationships along the way you make friends along the way and you know you trust people and and as much as i hate to say it there there are a handful of people in this sport that <laughs> you probably shouldn't trust right it's just uh, business right jeff oh right nothing <laughs> nothing personal well, yeah right as yeah, they I, send you packing yeah, <laughs> yeah right there's a there's a knife sticking out of the middle of your back but it's nothing personal well you, um, you know justin we used to be before, uh, well, you would have been around then. Hutches, there was a company called Hutchison and Pagan that used to have a, a, a deal at the racetrack. They bring parts, Jeff, to the racetracks. So we always said at the racetrack, you could go to the Hutch trailer and buy a knife 
with the salt shaker already <laughs> built into it because that's how vicious the racetrack was. <laughs> they stab you and throw salt in the wound at the same time. <laughs> you could get a you could get a chassis, you could get a drink bottle, a fire pressure a fire system, or a knife, whichever one you wanted. <laughs> they had them all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's full service. So. <laughs> So your wife was instrumental in keeping you into it, which thank her for doing that. And uh, from the outside, it sure looks like it's paid huge dividends for you. You were a team Penske for a while. Then, you you know, you run a few different cars here and there. But you've been with Junior Motorsports for, for a few years now. And uh, from the outside looking in is, you know, Dale Jr. is like world famous. So is driving his race car world famous? Is that the way you look at it or is it just a good race team you're driving for well when you introduced me uh you said three time three three years consecutive most popular driver uh i can assure you <laughs> assure you that before i drove for junior motorsports that wasn't even a i wasn't even a blip on the radar as far as that goes and um you know for sure junior nation is a real thing and and the weight that they carry is unbelievable um it, it's it's hard to even put into words, but but the reason why is because Dale is Dale. Dale is a true, genuine, real, down to earth, just good guy, and and he's a he's. You know, I love driving for Junior Sports, whether it's him or Kelly or or any of the folks that that make the day to day operate. Um, I love driving for this company, and and they're great people. And you know, a lot of people ask me like, "Oh man, don't you want to go back cup racing?" and yeah, I do want to go back up race and I still think I could go back and be, be relevant and, and run good. But, you know, the opportunity to drive a car that I think is capable of going to the racetrack and doing that are, are not that great. Right. And, and it's hard to walk away from a team like I have at Junior Motorsports when you know you're going to go to the racetrack week in and week out and be successful and, and have a shot at winning a race. And, you know, one person that I need to mention in this that I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is Rick Brandt. You know, when I, when I, my career ended at, at team Penske, um, I found out the week before a gateway in St. Louis that, uh, I was going to be out of a ride. And I actually met Rick Brandt in gateway in 2010, um, that weekend. And from that day forward, he has been my biggest, my biggest ally, my biggest supporter and somebody that is, is helped helped me you know cultivate my career to where i'm at today and and you know i'm sitting here right now in my office at the house and i've got a i've got a bunch of my helmets from different eras of my racing career up here on, on the walls and 90 percent of them have brand on them and there's a good reason for that and um you know that's you add them a family-owned company junior motorsports a family-run race team um you know i look at I look at it a lot like my dad and in our business back at home. And it just makes you feel, it gives you all the warm fuzzies, I guess. Well, did, do me a favor because that was one of the things on the list that I had, and I don't have a list. I just had scribble notes. Brandt, uh, they've been with you forever, like you said. And, and if I may say this in a complimentary way, Mr. Brandt, who you're talking about, doesn't look like your atypical CEO. You know, he's got long no. hair. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, just kind of a cool Jeff Kent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So so who are they? Where did they come from? How did you run into them at Gateway? Because, they, you know, from from the outside, they, they have been 
from a, me as a driver perspective, they've been very instrumental in, in your racing. So tell us a little bit about them. Who are they? Yeah. So, 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 you know, for me growing up, um, one of the things that's, it's funny, I grew up in Springfield, Illinois, right? I, I actually grew up in Riverton, Illinois, but it's just outside of Springfield. And we're very, very heavily, you know, surrounded by agriculture and farming, right? Cornfields are plenty. There is no shortage of cornfields in the area where I grew up. And one of the things as a kid, you always see these red trucks, right? Red trucks, white brand on the door. Their their um, their tanker trucks actually were were red with white tanks, and they said uh, Brant's fertilizer on the side of them, right? Uh, when when the company was started, it was Brant's fertilizer, and that's what they focused on. And the company was started by Rick's dad, Glenn, and his sister Evelyn, and. Um, you know, they started the business to be an ally to the farmers, right? An outlet for the for the local farmer, a resource. And and you know, Rick, as he got older, decided that that was the path he was going to go down. He took the business over and and grew the business to what it is today. And it is far from a fertilizer business uh, to to what it is today. They they have become kind of a powerhouse in the agriculture industry and, and their biggest their biggest um seller would be a plant micronutrient right so so you and i hopefully you do i do take vitamins every day right to, to make sure that we stay healthy and and keep our bodies going in a good direction and what they do is go along beside the farmers and and you know as you farm you deplete natural resources that are in the ground right your zinc your manganese all these these different minerals that are in the ground and what they do is they go back in and they they develop products to help uh, put the resources back into the earth so that when you grow your crops, whether that be corn or soybeans or cotton or whatever it is, um, you're not depleting the earth. You can you can keep growing, uh, you know, the bushel per acre that that you need to grow. And they work with a lot of different companies and and help you know kind of cultivate and grow the agriculture industry as a whole. And it's gone not only nationwide, but it's gone international. And, you know, they've grown here in the United States tremendously, but they've grown all over the world. Uh, they're, they're manufacturing and distribution, distrib- di- have distribution in multiple countries all over the, uh, all over the world. Uh, you know, Brazil, probably most notably here of late, you know, they, they've grown their presence in Brazil by 10,000 times of what it was, you know, five years ago. And it's, it's really neat to see their company grow because a lot of it, a lot of it, honestly, we, we've had a lot of the people that's helped it grow come through the racetrack first, right? They, they've done a great job at using the racing platform as a way to grow their business. And, and Rick is not your atypical CEO, but he's also not your atypical uh, agriculture guy, right? Uh, he's, he's very polished and very buttoned up, but he's, he's, still a rocker at heart he's got long hair and and tattoos and you know but he's a he's a an incredible person his whole family uh you know his his aunt uh evelyn that's one of the founders of the company she is 98 years old and she still goes to the office every day she works her guts out every day and um it's truly a special company and and you know their their offices are based in springfield illinois which is the connection that I have to them. They were in gateway that day because it's, you know, 90 minutes from our house. 
but their offices are right there in Springfield, Illinois. They grew up just outside of Springfield, Illinois. So, you know, we inadvertently uh, ran in a lot of the same circles and didn't even realize it until, you know, racing brought us together. And, and they've, they've taken that on as being a huge part of their marketing tool. And it's been so neat to see the company grow and flourish like it has. I mean, it's, it's truly special to me to, to be a part of that growth. Well, congratulations to you and Brandt. I mean, because uh, as every driver needs, every team needs is, uh, you know, the support, not just financially, but, you know, that morale support, the, the guy giving you, you know, a little bit of advice. So uh, glad to hear that. Really, really wild. It's been, you know, at Penske Racing and both the Brandt thing, running into somebody at the racetrack has been kind of crucial to you. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, and here's a, question. Uh, you know, here's a question for you, Justin. It's officially race week in Charlotte. As a driver for Junior Motorsports, you're going to be running Saturday in the Xfinity Series. What is your what is your agenda this week? Do you have a lot of of uh, sponsor responsibilities and stuff like that? Well, no, most notably, we have our our Fan Appreciation Day at Junior Motorsports, and and that's always special to us, right? I mean, it's the fans are the lifeblood of the sport, and and especially now, you know, after the pandemic, realizing and and taking care of those fans that that spent two years craving uh being at the track again and missing it um you know it's been a huge part of what we've tried to give back you know we we do uh apparel trailer we do autograph uh sessions in the apparel trailer you know we got all kinds of stuff going on this week because it's home uh but you know that's what makes this week special so i think a lot of the teams a lot of the drivers really love this week and it's hectic don't get me wrong it's a it's a busy week, but man, it's it's worth it when it's when it's all said and done. If we wanted to include some information on our social post about the show and your uh, fan appreciation day, where would where would our listeners go to find that information? Is it on the Junior Motorsports Facebook page, website, what? It's it's on their website, their Facebook, uh, all their socials, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, for us right now, we personally uh, are going to be at the shop between one and two signing autographs at our, at our race shop at Junior Motorsports. But uh, they have stuff going on from early in the morning. I know Dale and, Dale and Kelly are signing autographs earlier that morning. We got all kinds of stuff going on throughout the course of the whole day. Um, and then we're also um, we're also doing autographs at the trailer at 11 o'clock on, on Saturday uh, before the race. So if you're out of the racetrack and you can't make it by Junior Motorsports, you can come out there as well and get autographs so we got a lot of stuff going on this week and, it's a busy week you know, obviously yeah. yeah it is a busy week I love but it, it makes it worth it well justin i uh i appreciate you so much taking and spending this time with us sharing it with all the race fans around the world and uh congratulations to you and your family on all the success congratulations to brant for being a, a strong supporter of yours and uh we look forward to hopefully having you back on the show sometime if you'll come back Absolutely, I'll come back. You know, I appreciate you having me on. I, I think that telling people stories is is awesome because, you know, everybody gets here different, um, and and everybody's got a great story when they when they get to this point. So um, I'm sure we could have talked for another three hours and <laughs> gone into detail and a lot more, but but I do appreciate it, and it's always good to be on. And I will gladly accept anytime you want me on. So okay. Justin, what do you think? 2022 Xfinity Series most popular driver. What do you think? Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I, I got I got three other teammates in my shop that are that are all part of Junior Nation. He's probably and, digging uh, way more. Twenty twenty two Xfinity Series champion is what he's looking oh, for. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. That would be a feather in your cap as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would take either or both. Let me just put that way. <laughs> both would be nice. Yeah. All right. Well, there's plenty more we could talk about. Yeah, because I'd like to uh, someday talk about your uh, GM development program you do for the new cars. But we'll leave it go with that. You have a great Charlotte week. Thanks for being here. And uh, we'll enjoy talking later. And there he goes, Sounds Justin Allgaier. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.